Welcome back, y'all. I'm so happy that you're here with me. If you are new, I am so glad you are joining me today. I'm having so much fun with us. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's always a new um, experience. Uh, each week, this is the week six that I've started this uh, podcast. And so each week I'm learning something new and uh, it has been fun. So thanks for being here along for the ride with me. So just like most women in the country, I read Glennon Doyle's uh, Untamed, her uh, best-selling novel, Untamed. It's the only one that I've read from her. And I've noticed it's gotten quite mixed reviews. Um, just in polling, my friends, um, it's about 50-50. Some loved it. Some hated it. I guess I fall in the category of loving it. Um, sure, there were some things in there that made me uh, roll my eyes. Um, but I really enjoyed it. I, I did enjoy it because I felt like there were so many aha moments. And I'm the type of person that can really appreciate somebody's craft. And not only their craft, but she's obviously really good at writing, really good at storytelling, which I love so much. She uses stories to drive her point home. And it actually inspired a lot of this podcast in the way that I'm presenting it to you guys. But a lot of really good aha moments and where she's walked through her own fire and made it to the other side. And now she's sharing her wisdom with her you know, followers, listeners, readers, supporters. And I just really love that about her. And, um, you know, I, I'm inspired by her. I, I would definitely say she is one of my favorites that I enjoy listening to. Um, so if, if you're looking for another podcast, um, We Can Do Hard Things is also a great podcast to listen to. Okay, I'm saying all of that because part of her book, actually several parts of her book, I mean, really inspired me. Um, to the point it radically changed some of my perspective. Um, and we'll get more into that, um, in like later episodes, but on this one, something that she talked about, and it was kind of my aha moment was something about like her growing up and her recognizing those golden girls, <laughs> um, the golden circle of friends, um, those girls that she wanted to be like, um, be in their circle and what she did in order to be in that circle. So she took us back to her childhood and, you know, it was kind of an aha moment for me because my drinking was a problem. Obviously I'm getting into all of that <laughs> in all these episodes, but that was just a symptom, really, of the bigger problem. And so over the last few years, well, okay, last couple of years, I've been really trying to dive into where, where's the problem? Where does the problem lie? And um, really peeling back that layer and layers, should I say. And something that I've realized about myself is that my whole life, I mean, as far as I can think back to early, early childhood memories, I've held myself to unrealistic standards of um, perfection. And I identified at a young age 
um, what would get you attention, what was praised, and so forth. And so a lot of that has affected me in a way that I'm now having to unlearn some things. And that's kind of what uh, Glennon Doyle talks about in her book, Untamed, is like, basically, like you've been conditioned your whole life. And so we got to peel back those layers to see why you think how you think, why do you engage in harmful behavior? Why, why you do the things you do? Why do you believe the things you believe? And so it's just really been um, kind of that springboard for me to start really thinking more about why is it that I believe the way I believe? way I think, the way I think, and behave the way I behave, and especially over all these years. And that's what I'm going to talk about in today's uh, episode, is I wanted to be a golden girl. Y'all are thinking the show, <laughs> those old ladies, right? Fantastic show, but not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the high school elite, um, the, the girls you put on a pedestal, the ones you would name, um, prom queen, homecoming queen, you will get my drift, what my drift, my gist. I don't know. Uh, you're going to get that more in the next part of this episode. So hang with me. I have a point that I'm going to be making here. Um, look, before you forget, make sure you hit that follow button on your preferred listening platform. This ensures you don't miss an upcoming episode. And I really appreciate the support. Also, if you are enjoying the podcast and finding value, please leave me a detailed review. It will help increase awareness and get the show in front of more people. This week, I'm going to read one of the reviews I received, and it just brightened my day, y'all, and confirmed why I'm putting so much emphasis on this project. All right, so here it goes. Absolutely love listening to your journey because it's so real, raw, and relatable. I believe there's so many of us out there who can relate to you and need the encouragement to discuss our struggles. Ah, that just makes my heart so happy. So thank you so much to the listener who wrote that review. It means a lot to me, and I know it will help bring more awareness to our mission. So again, your detailed reviews help so much. So if you could take a couple of minutes to do that, please feel free to do that. And then maybe on the next episode, I'll read your review. All right, with that being said, grab a big glass of tea, make it extra sweet, and let's jump into today's show. You're listening to Southern, Social, and Still Sober, and I'm your host, Emily Chandler. I mentioned last week, I'm a former beauty pageant winner. It's true. Five judges deemed me sparkly and golden enough to be awarded a high honor that involved judging me on my charisma in an interview and poise on stage. Now, most people won't call what I want a beauty pageant because it's an outdated term. So most call it a scholarship program or whatever, but if it isn't a beauty pageant, why the need for so much glamour and a big emphasis on image? That pageant I competed in in high school was the beginning of my golden years and everything I thought I ever wanted to be validated that I was worthy enough for an esteemed title amongst my peers. I worked harder at that pageant than maybe anything else I've ever done in my life. I'd practice my poise walk down the halls of my high school. I'd wake up in the middle of the night to practice my curtsy that I needed to do flawlessly the night of the pageant. I'd aggravate my friends at school to have them ask me on-the-spot questions so I'd be prepared for my onstage question. In my mind, no one wanted it more than me. There was no other option but to win, and I was going to give it everything I had. 
On top of all that practice, my mom hired an interview coach, poise coach, and a makeup artist to teach me a thing or two about stage makeup. The night that it was announced I was among the winners to serve on the court for the year, I slept in my sash and kept waking up to make sure it wasn't a dream. Up until that point in my life, I felt less than golden. I felt looked over and that I didn't have that something special that I thought all those girls that people admired so much had. You know the girls I'm referencing, the ones selected for homecoming courts, prom queens, the ones we put on a pedestal. To give you more context of why I put so much importance on being accepted into the golden girl inner circle, let me take you back further into my childhood to help you better understand. When I was 12 years old, I wore a woman's size 12 clothes. I wasn't just a chubby kid that had yet to go through puberty or a big growth spurt. I was very overweight. I comforted myself hiding in bathrooms with those little Debbie cakes that I'd sneak out of the pantry and then hide the wrappers deep in the trash can. I was so embarrassed of all that I was eating as a kid that I hid in a bathroom to eat them in secrecy. Food comforted me and made my little anxious brain calm down, even if it was just for a few minutes. I'm really lucky because my friends never teased me for my size, and they were really amazing, genuine friendships. I wasn't bullied by classmates, and I did well in school. But there was no denying I was learning at a very young age the ways of the world, and my prepubescent brain recognized that my thin friends were deemed cute and charming. They were noticed and got more attention. I realized in my youth that our society favors a certain look, and my current one wasn't ideal. Again, I'm super lucky that I wasn't the butt of jokes and my parents never said anything that hurt my feelings or made me feel different from the rest. Quite the contrary, actually. They always built me up. My mom is still doing it today by literally telling anyone who will listen that her daughter has a podcast and it's just so good. And not only that, she's already scratching her head why I'm not envisioning a best-selling book one day. She just has that much belief in me. So shout out to you, mama. I love ya. I was just a young girl in a world that favored a certain look and I realized it early on. I didn't question it. I just knew that one day I wanted to be deemed worthy enough for the spotlight. Over the years of puberty and early teen years, my body changed and I began to get the attention from my peers that I was longing for. It seems silly to have to go back here and relive this with you guys, but this is where it all started. The idea of perfectionism. The realization that in order to get what I wanted out of the world, I needed to devote myself to the unrealistic standards of the world and embody its holy grail of perfectionism. Say the right things even if it wasn't how I felt. Act in a way even if it meant not being true to my values. And dress in a way that got attention and praise. This was the mindset that carried me all the way into my late 20s. Sure, it awarded me opportunity, attention, and social gains, but it came at a heavy cost. You heard earlier that I've been super anxious my whole life. I realize now how it's genetic and conditioned. Anxiousness and pressure to be a certain way is a heavy burden to carry, and alcohol did a fantastic job of lightening my load. When I tell y'all that it was my best friend, I'm not lying. I had been holding myself to unrealistic standards for years and about to cave to the pressure until I met my best friend, Alcohol, 
at 16. It was like, where the heck have you been my whole life? Those sips turned into gulps, turned into boxes of wine, and it made me feel like I could conquer the world. My brain lit up like a Christmas tree, and all the anxiousness and feelings of immense pressure melted. I felt like I could be the exact person I had been longing to be for so long. My standard of perfectionism in my life was supported by the amount of alcohol I consumed because it no longer felt hard. I had the magic pill to ease my weary mind. I felt confident, sophisticated, charismatic, smart, and charming while I drank. And more importantly, I felt like I was finally in. Those girls I admired had everything I wanted, and now I could have it too, as long as I drank. Are y'all just as concerned as I am? You're listening, and I'm speaking this, and yeah, I'm concerned for my former self. This all started when I was just a young girl. I was so sick in my mind by being fed the garbage of our world that they push at young women, and no one knew because I was so good at hiding it. I can't remember a time in my life that I didn't put immense pressure on myself and that I wasn't plagued by anxiety. I just hit it really well. I smiled when I was supposed to smile and cried to myself behind closed doors. The gift of peace came to me around the age of 30. I'm 32 now, so I'm still reeling in the glory of what peace in your life truly feels like. I'm no longer buying into unrealistic standards of perfectionism, and I'm over giving the beauty pageant answers. These past two years, I started experimenting of saying what's really on my mind, and it has been extremely liberating. I literally pat myself on the back and say, good job, Emily, when my body does not go into freakout mode over minor inconveniences Or when I don't wake up with clammy hands and a pounding heart. Life with anxiety is exhausting. The majority of my life has been spent resisting it and doing anything I could do to avoid it, even if that meant self-harm, over-consuming alcohol, or being really mean to myself with negative self-talk. There were days when I'd look in the mirror and grabbed at parts of my body that I didn't like so hard that I'd bruise myself. Now I take time to look at myself in the mirror right out of the shower and say, wow, look at you. You're looking like a strong, confident woman. Or I'll be lying in bed and put my hand over my heart and the other one on my stomach, almost as if I'm giving my body a slight squeeze and quietly whisper, you're doing a good job. You, my kind and loyal body, are doing so well. Thank you for caring for me, even when I didn't care for you. Yes, I talk to myself and I'm becoming quite fond of myself and everything that makes me, me. And that includes my body in any shape or form it's in. That's unconditional love, right? I'm embracing unconditional love for myself for the first time in my life. It's freeing and transformative and I wish that I would have found this version of myself sooner. What you say to yourself matters. I now know that. It's not enough posting something nice and inspirational on social media. The transformation happens when you start living it day in and day out. Now you may better understand why I call myself a recovering perfectionist, because it's a true statement. 
it's more in line with the theme of my life than a recovering alcoholic because alcohol was just the tool to escape from the burdening weight of perfection. I don't even know what perfection is now that I'm in recovery. What the heck was I even chasing all those years? Right now, today, I feel closer to the person that I am than I ever have been before. I feel aligned with myself and in balance, and I can guarantee you it's far from the version of myself I was aspiring to be. Most days, I miss a workout because I just simply don't want to go. I don't want to sweat. My house is less clean than it was in the past. I make up my bed less days than I did when I drank. My waistline has shrunk and my waistline has grown, but nevertheless, my confidence remains steadfast. My teeth are stained from the coffee I enjoy every morning, and I'm not concerned with bleaching those stains out, and I'm not giving it up, and I am not going to drink hot coffee through a straw. Just not going to do it. I haven't returned calls to some friends, and there's more catch-up I need to do in terms of keeping connections alive. I don't eat well all the time. I really like oatmeal pies, and I don't want to stop buying them for the sake of having a quote-unquote cleaner pantry or whole pantry or or whatever they call it. I actually cook less these days and opt for easier meals. I'm not as rigid with my productivity level and actually feel less productive, but you know what? I'm at peace. I'm happy. I'm kinder to myself. I'm making time with my loved ones more of a priority. I don't feel the need to escape all the time. Sure, there's days I dream about packing a bag and heading for the border to warmer temps and bluer water, but I don't feel like I need to escape with the poison I was drinking every day. Life still stresses me out, but I'm here participating and I'm really proud of myself. So again, I'm patting myself on the back as I speak and saying, good job, Emily. You're listening to Southern Social still sober, and I'm your host, Emily Chandler. The journey to finding this peace I mentioned earlier in this episode took me a while. The first year that I stopped drinking, it felt like I was white-knuckling life and just dodging triggers. I was just hanging on for the ride of my life, and I wasn't interested at all in sitting with my feelings. The alcohol was no longer in my life, but the burdening anxiety and unrealistic standards I held myself to still plagued me. Not much changed for me emotionally my first year. It was like I was trying to outrun a tidal wave that was just about to hit and completely destroy me. Something that Glennon Doyle said in her book, Untamed, um, that still resonates with me and I carry with me every day is... Being fully human is not about feeling happy. It's about feeling everything. All of my life, I dodged any unpleasant feeling. Um, I didn't want to feel. I didn't want to feel the hard things. I thought that was a bad thing, being upset, angry, sad, anxious. I, I felt like a failure for having those bad days or bad feelings. Um, And now I know that that's just normal. It's part of it. And the more I resisted, um, the, the less happy I became. And then obviously I started to go to 
things that were more destructive than helpful. I was afraid of being bored. I was afraid of sitting with my feelings because for since I was 16 up until about 29, the pattern I found myself in was have an unpleasant feeling, don't get curious about it, just go get a drink, go get something to distract yourself. Um, food and alcohol, uh, primarily alcohol, was always my distraction. So, oh gosh, just to think back on all those years, it's, it's exhausting to think that I was running like that for so long. You know, it's important that we pull back these layers and get to the root cause. So something I want to talk about with you guys, um, just to give another example, because I've shared a lot about my example, my story. Um, And of course, I've mentioned my dad. So I think it's important to emphasize that, you know, he never got to the root of his problem. He used alcohol to self-medicate and to escape from his troubles, his pain, his depression, anxiety, and so forth. Something that you guys don't know, um, my dad had gastric bypass when I was 14. And so my dad, um, majority of his life, was he was overweight. And he used food as a coping mechanism like I've described to you guys that I did with myself. Um, and it got to the point where his health was really negatively impacted. And so he went and had gastric bypass uh, again when I was 14. Um, it was 10 years later that he passed away from alcoholism. I'm not sure if you guys are aware, but t- over 20% of gastric bypass patients end up developing a, an alcohol use disorder. And that is according to many studies, um, but I also linked uh, the Recovery Village, and that's where I've pulled this statistic from. Over 20% of gastric bypass patients suffer from alcohol use disorder. Now, when my dad got the bypass surgery, it was not a requirement for him to seek counseling, uh, therapy. You know, he, he That wasn't required. He had to lose a little bit of weight or get, do some things before he could get the surgery, but um, he was never told that he needed to seek counseling. Because they fixed the problem, they made his stomach smaller, and he lost a lot of weight. I think he started at like well into the 200s. My dad was a short guy, um, so very overweight. Um, and he dropped to like 160 pounds. Um, he lost a lot of weight. And he then began drinking because he couldn't eat to numb his feelings. So he started drinking. Um, if he ate too much, he would get sick. But he could handle the alcohol. And my dad was a really social guy. So at a party or a get-together at dinner, when others were enjoying their dinners, my dad would drink. And he realized very quickly that that alcohol um, could be his escape. That could be the ticket. You know, it's no longer food, so we'll just switch over to alcohol. And due to the size of his stomach and everything, it really... uh, exacerbated the problem. It made it that much worse because his body couldn't metabolize alcohol the same way someone with a normal-sized stomach could. And um, so that is something else just to keep in mind. And I do believe now that people who have um, 
or people who are candidates for gastric bypass, they have to seek counseling before that they'll be written off and approved for the surgery, which is such a good idea. I mean, I think that's super smart because, you know, what if my dad had gotten counseling and gotten to the root cause of his problem and maybe he'd still be here today? So what I'm trying to say here is that, yeah, my dad and I had a problem with alcohol. One of us so extreme that it ultimately took his life. But the problem wasn't so much that my dad and I drank problematically. It's that we used a harmful and addictive substance to numb the bigger problem. The reason I'm almost four years sober is because I found success in uncovering the root of the problems and I'm dealing with them. And I'm still dealing with them today. I'm a work in progress. But now that I'm reaping the reward, it motivates me to keep pushing onward. Had I kept going like I did that first year, I most likely would have relapsed because it just wasn't sustainable. I finally had to give in one way or the other, either decide to start drinking again uh, to keep myself numb from dealing with deep-rooted issues or finally decide that enough was enough and white-knuckling through life and resisting any unpleasant feeling or emotion just wasn't the life I wanted to live. So I needed to deal with a mess once and for all. When I opted for the latter, I was met with a tidal wave that about knocked me off my feet. When you've spent nearly half of your life drinking to avoid any unpleasantry, you've got a whole lot to learn in terms of getting comfortable with your own thoughts and emotions. My crutch was gone, and it was time for me to learn to walk steady on my own two feet again. It's been a really eye-opening, frustrating, and rewarding walk, and there's still so much to grow from here. In upcoming episodes, you'll hear more of what these last couple of years have looked like for me in terms of recovery. You're listening to Southern, Social, and Still Sober, and I'm your host, Emily Chandler. I mentioned to my mom how I was feeling a couple of weeks ago and that I'm just so overcome with emotions all the time. And she comforted me by saying, you're just thawing out. It's okay. You're thawing out from being so numb to your feelings and emotions for so long. You're coming back and into your own again. When I think about her words and how she said it, It reminds me of the snow in the mountains being met with the warmth from the sunshine in early spring. It begins to melt and streams begin to swell and run rapidly. And oftentimes underneath that snow is new growth of what's to bloom in the coming weeks. My heart and mind is being met with warm sunshine and I'm thawing out and getting ready to bloom. I set impossible standards for myself and nearly drowned myself in alcohol. I tried to keep up in a world that has unrealistic measures of success. Success, like beauty, is in the eye of the beholder. You define your success and happiness. Learn from me and don't fall victim to toxic beliefs. If how you're living, what you're doing, is costing you your peace, it's too expensive. Give yourself permission to make the necessary changes. Thank you so much for being here with me today. I hope you found value from this episode and I hope you'll be back next week. Please share this with your friends and loved ones and anyone that you think could be comforted and helped by my story. Please subscribe and take a minute to review this podcast. It helps me so much and will help me spread the word. 
You can find a transcribed version of every episode on my website at southernsocialandstillsober.com and more info in the show notes along with the show's contact info. I'd love for you to submit feedback, make comments, ask questions, submit suggestions, or even just to connect and say hi. Thank you again from the bottom of my heart. Looking forward to next week. Until then, cheers all.